This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters everywhere Christmas Day. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! That's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. The prophecy of Isaiah 714 was one of many in the Old Testament foretelling the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the baby in the manger who was and is both fully God and fully human. But why did God have to become man in order to save us? And why is the doctrine of the incarnation so vital to the life and the health of the church. That is going to be our discussion today with the Reverend Melvin Tinker, who is Senior Minister of St. John Newland Hall, UK, and a well-known international speaker. And today we'll be talking about his book, Veiled in Flesh, The Incarnation, What It Means and Why It Matters. It's wonderful to welcome you back to the show, Reverend Tinker. How are you? I'm very well, Janet, and it's good to be with you again. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. It's always great to talk to you. And this is really one of my favorite subjects, to tell you the truth. The Incarnation, it's a perfect time of year to talk about it. You des- Indeed. Yes, it is. You describe the Incarnation, I, I like this, the inf- as the enfleshment of the eternal Son of God, which I guess to the untrained ear might sound, sound a little bit complicated. But how do we understand the Incarnation? How do we explain the Incarnation in the simplest of terms? Okay. Well, um, incarnation um, comes from a Latin word, ensarcosis. It it means literally uh, enfleshed, in the flesh. And of course, that takes us to John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. But probably the simplest way of of putting it is this, that um, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, God became man without ceasing to be God. That's it. Right. God became a man without ceasing to be God. And so you have this one person, this unique individual, who has both a divine nature, uh, uh, which is distinct from his human nature, yet there in this one person. Right. We only have one nature, it's a human nature, but Jesus of Nazareth had two natures, divine and human. Right. He was one with the Father. Yes. So it's simple the way that you describe it, and yet there's a great mystery there, and we know how difficult it can be when you get into more detail about the issue that you've raised here, that God was fully man. This is hard for people because you say, well, how is it that if men are sinful, that God could become a man and Jesus did not inherit a sin nature from his mother? Now, how do we answer questions like that? Well... Um, we're talking about God becoming a human being. Now, um, sinfulness is not, in, uh, is not integral to being human. Right. Uh, Adam was human, uh, fully human, and yet not sinful uh, before he fell. Um, and so, uh, and uh, when Christians die, they, uh, and a, uh, when Christ comes again, the new heaven, the new earth, we're given resurrected, glorified bodies, those bodies will be sinless. But we will not be any less human. In fact, we'll be more human. We will be what we were meant to be. Uh, So uh, sinfulness is not not integral to it. In fact, it's vital that Christ is sinless. 
And by um, by that we mean uh, not simply that Jesus was incapable, uh, what was uh, uh, did not sin, but he was actually incapable of sinning. Right. Um, he, 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 if you like, um, you know, he, he, he didn't. He, he, there was no situation in which he would even want to sin or contemplate sin. Um, it was pure because even even to contemplate sin actually is a sin. Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> uh, you know, sinful. There are sinful desires, but Jesus had no such sinful desires um, because he was um, he was born um, uh, conceived of the Virgin Mary. Uh, of the Holy Spirit, uh, and therefore was perfect man and perfect God in this one one person. Yes, yes. So this points out the critical truth that the birth of Jesus Christ had to be a virgin birth. There are some people who would argue with that and say it doesn't really matter. She was just a young woman. Mary was just a young woman, not necessarily a virgin. But that is absolutely essential, right, to the Incarnation. Yes. Yeah, I, I, it's more accurate to talk about the virginal conception rather than virgin birth. Yes, I mean her right. birth, the birth of Jesus was the same as the birth of anyone, right? Any, right, any, any, you know, any baby. Um, but we're talking about the conception here. Um, so, and this is why it was important that she was a virgin. In that, um, it, there was there was there could be no uh, question about the identity of, of Jesus, his uh, paternity, um, because. Um, if, for example, um, uh, that um, you know she was married to Joseph, uh, Joseph had had sexual intercourse with her uh, without any conception, and later on the Holy Spirit then um, brought about the original conception, then there would be a question mark. Ah, yeah, but you know, was it Joseph or was it the Holy Spirit? Right. Was the fact that she was a virgin meant without any shadow of a doubt? that this was a miraculous conception, which, of course, is what Joseph thought, and that's why he wanted to, do, you know, he thought, well, the righteous thing is to divorce her, to, yes. to put her away. Right, right, exactly. So we have a lot that's packed into the understanding of the Incarnation, and you talk at the beginning of your book about some of the people who are really challenging the Incarnation, and I know that was quite true in church history when we go back to the time of the Council of Nicaea and, you know, Athanasius and Arius and all of that, who Jesus really was, et cetera, et cetera. What about today? Where do you see some of the challenges coming from regarding whether or not Jesus truly was fully God and fully man? Um, Well, you're still getting it from um, academic um, theologians and, uh, and church leaders, uh, I mentioned my book, you know, just give one example from your side of the, the pond, as it were. Always. <laughs> uh, and that's the former uh, bishop of the Episcopal Church, uh, Catherine uh, Jevitz uh, Gory. Yes. Uh, and uh, and she certainly thought it was irrelevant, it didn't matter. Uh, and, and in fact, she, she goes on to say, well, sort of in a, in a literary way, I mean, people did think, yes, well, people were born of the gods and... Uh, and that's what we're saying, you know, this carpenter was just different. It's a sort of mythical way of speaking of Jesus being a, uh, not not God and, and man, but a sort of su- someone who, as it were, is just a window into God, a superior man. Hmm. It was no different to the teaching of Jehovah's Witnesses, to be honest with you. Sure. Uh, and it's far, far short of what the Bible uh, teaches and what the historic creeds, like the Nicene Creed, affirm and all... Uh, the, the the Christian Church down the ages have affirmed. So what these people actually, um, like um, uh, Catherine Shorey, for instance, and uh, over here we've had in the past people like Don Cupid and 
a whole host of other theologians. Um, what they're proposing actually is not—it's not Christianity. They're promoting uh, a totally different religion, a sub-religion, yeah. and, it's a, and, it, and therefore comes under the condemnation uh, of one John, for instance, that those who deny uh, that Jesus has come in the flesh—they're uh, the Antichrist. Yes. Right, exactly. First John four, a really important passage in that regard. Why? Why yeah. is that? When we look, I mean, that's a perfect passage to bring up. Why is that doctrine the one that is mentioned as indicative of the spirit of antichrist? If somebody denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, well, everything collapses. Um, it's not only well a number of things are dependent upon it. One, the question of revelation. Uh, how do we know God? Well, we can only know God if he reveals himself to us. And as the writer of the Hebrews tells us, well, yes, God has spoken various times in various ways um, in the past, uh, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Right. Uh, and this is the, you know, and then he goes on to describe who this Son is. You know, he's, he's the one uh, through whom everything was made, he upholds everything, so he's on the divine side of reality. Um, and so what we're saying here is that this is, people say, well, you know, how do you know God? How do you know God exists? Have you ever seen him? And I always say, well, I haven't seen him, but um, if I'd been around in Palestine 2,000 years ago, I would have said, yes, I have. I, I could have seen him. So with Jesus, we have the definitive revelation of God. We, you know, uh, someone says, you know, my Lord and my God, and Jesus said, to him before that, you know, chapter 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's right. Um, That's exactly right. And and so, basically, we cannot know God clearly, de- definitively, authoritatively without Jesus. Not the first thing. The Wonderful. Thing. Hang on just a moment. We do need to pause for a very quick break. Reverend Melvin Tinker, my guest, Veiled in Flesh is his book. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. From Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine comes American Underdog. Undrafted out of college, quarterback Kurt Warner found himself stocking grocery shelves while trying to hold on to his dream to play in the NFL. I have been working for this my entire life. God is going to do something great with you. Based on the true story, American Underdog. Rated PG. Panel guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere Christmas Day. More information is available at AmericanUnderdogInspires.com. If you're looking for adventure, serving as a volunteer on the Mercy Ship is an adventure like no other. And you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world, providing free care to some of the world's poorest people. Whether it's performing a surgery, cleaning the deck, or transporting a patient to a recovery center, every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people. Begin your adventure today. Connect with us at mercyships.org. It's an adventure of a lifetime. The Ministry of Preborn is there for moms in crisis who are choosing between life and death for their preborn babies. Meet Sophie. At 22 weeks pregnant, Sophie was pressured by her mother and boyfriend to terminate her pregnancy. After meeting with a preborn counselor, she found the love and support she needed. After I had that first soldier sound and I saw her and I was looking at the pictures over and over and over again, that's when I decided I was going to stand up to my mother and tell her, no, I can't do an abortion. Sophie chose life and now she's awaiting the birth of her baby girl. 
Every day, Preborn is on the front lines fighting Planned Parenthood to help young moms just like Sophie to choose life. For a gift of $140 today, you can help to rescue five babies' lives. And now through a matching gift, your gift will be doubled, rescuing 10 babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Well, we are tackling a very important biblical topic, the incarnation. And what a wonderful topic, especially to be discussing at this time of year. It is outlined in a beautiful way in a new book, Veiled in Flesh, the Incarnation, what it means and why it matters. Reverend Melvin Tinker, the author, is with us right now. And we were talking a little bit about, you had mentioned Hebrews 1, and I want to get into Hebrews 1 in much more detail. But you were trying to finish your point there before we had to run to that break, Reverend Tinker. If you'd like to finish that, please go ahead. I'm sorry we had to break there. Okay, we're saying what is at stake here Uh, and why John, uh, in 1 John 4, for instance, makes such a big deal of um, those who deny that uh, Jesus come in the flesh of the Antichrist, they have the spirit of the Antichrist. Uh, First, revelation is at stake. We cannot know God clearly and definitively without it. Secondly, salvation is at stake, Hmm. because one of the uh, big themes of, of both the Old and New Testaments particularly that in the Old Testament, Isaiah 46, 13, and so on, is that God alone can save. Only God can save. Right. Not a second, we can't save ourselves. No other creature can save us. Only God can save. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that um, only humans can represent humans. Hmm. Uh, and so we, we need um, someone who can actually represent us to God. I mean, this again is a point in Hebrews, you know, the the nature of the high priest must be able to to represent those, um, you know, who have sinned. Yes. And so what you have in in the Lord Jesus Christ is God. So God is the one who saves uh, by going to the cross on our behalf. Uh, He saves us as a human being uh, who is both the victim and the priest Mm -hmm. at the cross. The cross is the altar. He is the victim. Uh, the, the sacrifice, and also the one who offers the sacrifice in his own body. Wow. So he's our priest. Yeah. And, uh, and so, therefore, you know, he, in order for, for God to save us, he had to become human uh, without uh, surrendering his divinity. And that's what we see in Jesus, the perfect God perfect man. It's wonderful. It's, it's, it really is beyond understanding, except we know that's what God's Word reveals to us. In Hebrews 1, the whole chapter of Hebrews 1, in fact, the entire book of Hebrews is one of my very favorites in the whole Bible, but when, when you talk about Jesus being God's final word, you alluded to the beginning here, the first several verses where it talks about long ago, God spoke to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. And it goes on, like you said, to describe whom his, you know, he appointed heir of all things, et cetera, et cetera. Why is that significant? And what is that really saying? Because, for example, when you, you, you mentioned the Arians before, the Jehovah's Witnesses would be the modern day equivalent of the Arians who believe that Jesus was the first being God ever created. And there are some who would still say that, that was God the first creation of God um, when he talks, you know, some of the verbiage in the Bible, people can get very confused by that and say, well, it sounds like Jesus is just the highest created being of God, but that's not what this is saying. No, that, that's, that's correct. I mean, the first thing 
you, we have here is, is again, it's, uh, well, it brings the two things we've been talking about. First of all, revelation. So um, a, a way of, um, <laughs> of phrasing this, uh, when it says, in the past God spoke to our answers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, you, you, could, you could talk about that as, um, in bits and pieces, okay, mm-hmm. um, over a period of time. But in these last days, and this is the period from the coming of Jesus onwards, he has spoken to us by his son. And that's very definite. Yeah. This is not just a son, this is his son. And he's the one who's been appointed heir of all things, and through also he made the universe. Now, again, um, and, and then uh, we, we get an unpacking again of the nature of, of the son. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So just as the, um, if you like, the, the rays of the sun can't, are distinguishable, but, but can't be separated from the sun itself, uh, that is the S-O-N sun, mm-hmm. uh, S-U-N sun, uh, so it is with, uh, with, uh, with Jesus. So, um, and then to talk about the exact representation of his being, is that the idea is that of a stamp. Um, so the, 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 uh, the, the image of the stamp is, is exactly the representation of, um, of, of that, um, and, you know, the, the actual uh, guy itself. So, um, and then he talks about sustaining all things by his powerful word. Well, creatures can't sustain all things by, his, <laughs> by yeah. his powerful word. This is all God language, yeah. uh, which you find in the Old Testament. And all this sort of God language of the Old Testament and the activity of God uh, speaking, uh, revealing, uh, creating, sustaining, saving are now transferred here to this one who's called the Son. And what makes this even more remarkable in my view is that um, the letters of the Hebrews was, in all probability, was written by a Hebrew. It was written by a Jew to Jews. And here you have, and and there's a good argument, I think, to say that um, uh, he himself was, was a sort of priestly caste, you know, um, and here you've got this uh, Jew of Jews who were absolutely solid on there's only one God. Speaking of someone who just a few years later, uh, a few years earlier, uh, was uh, hanging doors and laying floors mm. in the carpenter. Right. Now, what caused them to exalt the carpenter from Nazareth to the same level as, as, as Yahweh? Hmm. Well... There are lots of reasons for that, not least Jesus' own teaching, but also the fa- his own acts. He acted as God. He right. calmed the storm. He forgave sins. He raised the dead. He did God's stuff, if you like. Right. And so they were forced to this conclusion that this was no ordinary man. Now, this was God in the flesh. Oh, of course, and having predicted his own resurrection and then accomplishing yeah. it was also quite extraordinary as well. That was the confirmation yes, that he really was who he said he was. Yes, and then the ascension. So, which, which again, the, the writer goes on to speak of. Um, you know, having provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. Mm. So again, that is not a place for, even for angels. This is the place of God. Right, right, right. He's superior to the angels. That's another important theme of Hebrews one. That's what he then goes on to say. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, you know, you have this interesting a section when it's talking about Jesus being superior to the angels for to which of the angels did he ever say you are my son today I have begotten you and of course people will talk about Jesus as the only begotten son of God but here's what's interesting when you get down to verse 6 again with the Arianism it says and when he again brings the firstborn into the world he says and let all the angels of God worship him well, there are people who will look at firstborn to this day and say, well, if he's eternal and if he were begotten, as you Christians say that he was, how could he also be the firstborn? Uh, how are we to understand that word in the context where truly it is saying that Jesus yeah. is to be worshipped as God? Yeah. Well, it, um, well, uh, perhaps I ought to say for your listeners, or we need to clarify, well, we, we view the term like Arianism, for instance. Um, so, yeah, just to clarify that, you know, the Arians, uh, named after a man called Arius, who basically just said that Jesus was a superior creature. Uh, he wasn't um, He wasn't God. He was a superior creature created by God to do other things like bring into being other creatures and so on. And that was denied at the Council of Nicaea uh, and, and defeated. Um, but firstborn... Um, uh, is, is a term uh, referring, uh, again, you see, Israel is described as God's firstborn, for instance, uh, and David. Um, and and it's, it, it's there referring to, um, if you like, superiority, mm-hmm. um, status, um, uh, the one who will inherit all things. So that's what he means by firstborn, not a literally, not a literal firstborn, because yes. Israel was yes. born as such, right. uh, but designated, chosen by God. Uh, to be his special people. That's important. And, uh, yeah. and it says, let all God's angels worship him. Yes. Uh, that is, this firstborn. And a no-no in the whole of the Bible is you do not worship anyone other than God. Exactly. So how do you explain that? Exactly. Well, and you mentioned before that the because of the incarnation, you have God becoming man, and so he will become the victim that is the sacrifice for sin, but he's also the priest, uh, the final priest, but he's also the final prophet. Isn't that now going back to what we were discussing earlier in the last days he has spoken to us in his son, where he had Indeed. prophets, spoke yep. through prophets. So what does this mean for God's revelation? We have a lot of people today, even trying to say today, we still have prophets. People get direct messages from God. And yeah, well, the, this passage is important. a lot of prophets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is well, important. I, well, the thing is, what you've got in, in, in the first, um, you know, four verses of Hebrews chapter one, are the three roles of, of, of Christ, which the reformers um, drew a lot on, yes. that he's prophet, priest, and king. Yes. His prophet is the one who brings the full and final revelation of God. He's the priest who offers purification for sins, and he's the king who sits down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Hmm. So all those, those, those three uh, key figures enrolled in the Old Testament, which were filled by different people, they had to be different people, we can um, bring them together. Um, do come together in this one individual, and understandably so, yeah, because right. he is God. <laughs> exactly right. God well, is the one who right. speaks the truth. God is the one who saves, and God is the one who rules. He sure is. That's why when Jesus himself says, if somebody says, come out here, here is the Christ, follow him, it's not going to be me. <laughs> we know it's not well, going to be that's, Jesus. That's, that's correct. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, we 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 need no further revelation. Well, because 
there is no further revelation. We we have it in Jesus, and um, and who he is, what he's done, and so on has been recorded for us um, fully and infallibly in the scriptures. Um, and the only next thing to happen is the second coming. I can't and that, wait. I, there you are, I'm the prophet. Jesus will return. Beautiful. I love that. Well, let's pause for another break. Veiled in Flesh is the name of the book by the Reverend Melvin Tinker. We'll come back discussing the incarnation here on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG, parental guidance suggested in theaters everywhere Christmas Day. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. We are so glad that you are with us, and I am really glad to have with us the Reverend Melvin Tinker. He is Senior Minister of St. John Newland Hall in the UK. He's a well-known international speaker and author of many great books. His latest is Veiled in Flesh, The Incarnation, What It Means and Why It Matters. And we've been talking about Hebrews 1 in particular. There's so much to discuss. I mean, John chapter 1 is also a very important passage, is it not, on this subject of the incarnation, Reverend Tinker, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was. God. That's correct, yeah. I mean, um, it, it's interesting how, uh, you know, different parts of the Scripture um, point to this so so clearly in, in different ways. Uh, so you have the great hymn in Philippians um, that he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped mm-hmm. uh, but then to himself, taking the form of certain songs. So there you've got that high view of, of, of Christ, they, uh, um, divine and human, uh, Colossians 1.15, that great hymn, um, Hebrews 1, we've seen uh, John chapter 1, and, um, and perhaps, I think, almost more clearly than anywhere else, well, not more clearly, but uh, but in a very interesting way, uh, it, it's 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 um, splashed over, over the, the whole of the book of Revelation. The right. whole book of Revelation is absolutely clear about the divinity and humanity of Jesus, the Lion who is the Lamb. Um, so, um, you know, these, these, these guys who, who say, oh, well, we can, uh, you know, it's a late development or, you know, came on later on in the church, mainly under Greek influence and, you know, with the uh, Council of Nicaea and then later on with Chalcedon and so on. It's just sheer nonsense. It's there in the New Testament. And what these later people did, mainly to counter the, the heretics, was to formulate these things in a way which, which drew the boundaries, uh, saying, look, here are the boundaries. Outside these boundaries, there's heresy. Within yes. this, there's a fair amount of freedom for perhaps how we might conceive this. But here are the boundaries. Jesus, there's one person, uh, Jesus. Uh, he is divine. He is human. Mm-hmm. He has two natures. Those right. are the four key things. Right. Right. And this was something that has come to us late in church history because a lot of Christians had to fight for this truth, didn't they, through the years? They had to clarify this for the rest of the church with these ancient creeds, these ancient councils that took place. That's correct. And, 
And many of them, uh, you know, paid. <laughs> you know, sometimes people think, uh, oh, this was just like a, sort of a group of academics getting together over a cup of coffee, you know, <laughs> and it, it was a just a nice scholarly thing. It wasn't. Um, some of the uh, people who were at, um, well, certainly later on in, in Chalcedon, um, you know, some of the, 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 the theologians and bishops, their leaders, uh, some of them had the, came without hands or arms or whatever because they had suffered mm. for the faith. They had been tortured for mm. the faith. Okay? So these people were passionate uh, because not only the truth was at stake and people's salvation was at stake, God's honor was at stake, but also many of the friends had died for this stuff. Right. Uh, so they weren't going to take anything, uh, and any uh, any dilution of of, um, of the Christian faith. This is absolutely crucial. Um, so yeah, I mean the, the first one was Nicaea in three two five, which as you said condemned Arianism, and for them the key thing was God alone can save, and therefore Jesus must be God. Right. right. Second one was Constantinople three eight one, and and there the the uh, thing they really fought for was that Jesus was fully human. Yes. And then the third one is Ephesus later on, 431, and there they were saying, look, this is just one person. You, you know, you haven't got a sort of schizophrenic Christ, you hmm. know, a sort of human mind and a divine mind. And then eventually you got, well, you got two natures. So that was it, you know. And, and that's what we've inherited, and that's what we must defend. Well, it was kind of funny. I saw a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, somebody was trying to make the argument on the Internet that the Council of Nicaea was not a genuine council of Christians because there was privilege involved. And the people who decided, <laughs> I'm not, I can't make this up. You know how we, we're in this time, don't you? Everything is privilege. Oh, but, right. yeah, yeah, the council. And, 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 <laughs> and they're all male as well. Oh, so of course, of course. That, that one and, but they went all white. That was the other thing. Yes, um, yes. Athanasius was African. Yeah, right. That was okay. Right. But it was it was not organic. In other words, you had these very powerful men who were forcing the Council of Nicaea to go in a certain doctrinal direction. But when you start yeah. mentioning all the people who had suffered for Jesus Christ, it's a little hard to think that they would yeah. do that. I mean, it's crazy. Well, yeah, but the thing is what people often forget or don't realize is that for many years, it was the heretics that were in the ascendant. Oh, yeah. I mean, they had the power. Yeah. And, and the King Constantine, he, you know, he, he sort of favored, well, what we call the, the semi-Aryans. So it was a sort of compromise. So instead of saying that uh, Jesus had the same nature as God, what was called, uh, the same substance, same nature, what's called homoousios yes. in, in Greek, one substance, the same substance, uh, so let's have, let's have a compromise and say he's got a similar substance, homoiousios. And, um, and Athanasius and, and others said no. And uh, I think five times, I think it was five times, that Athanasius was banished. You know, he ended up living in the desert, you know. Yep. Um, that's how fierce the persecution was. Um, but he won the day. Um, so if you're talking about power, the power was on the side of the heretics, not the Christians. Good point. Otherwise, why would he have had to make that pronouncement about contramundum? If, if the whole world was with him, why would he have had to say that in the first place? Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Yes, it's, he was against the world and, um, and you know, basically said, well, if the whole world say this, I don't care. Yes. God has said it, and that's enough for me. And that's enough for me. Right. Exactly. What, what about... You know, when you say rightly, of course, 
that only God can save us. I think there are people who don't know enough about Christian doctrine to understand why that would be. They'd say, well, if you, it, it, does it get down to the holiness, the nature of God, and also the sinlessness of God? How would you best explain that to somebody who finds that confusing? Why couldn't Jesus just be an extraordinary prophet and die for our sins? Um, okay, well, <laughs> I think part of the problem is that we don't understand the seriousness of sin. Right. Um, if I can, I hope people don't mind this as a sort of picture, because uh, I'm trying to think of something as severe, but it, it's like someone saying um, that so, someone, for instance, and it would be a cruel thing to say, you know, that someone who's uh, HIV positive, has got AIDS, and is dying of AIDS, oh, well, all you need to do is take an aspirin, hmm. and that'll be fine. Right. No. It's yeah. just ridiculous yeah. because of the seriousness of the disease. Right. It, 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 it's, a, it's dreadful, it's killing, it's, uh, and so on. Similarly with sin. Sin isn't just a sort of, oh, just a minor peccadillo with God. It's something which we're, we're so diseased and twisted uh, in our own being. It spills out in the whole society, in the world, everything else that people, you know, the war. It's just dreadful, the things that result of sin. And it's so ingrained. Uh, you know, the hard drive is damaged, you know, mm, and um, and it's going to take someone of immense power to do this. No mere prophet can do this. Right. Only God can do this. Exactly. That, that's that's a great... It's, it's the seriousness of sin that people underestimate, I think. That's a really important point. I think that really kind of encapsulates the spirit of the age, even for people who will acknowledge that sin exists and will see rightly that sin is the only doctrine that can be empirically verified, as Chesterton used to put it. Even, yeah. even if they acknowledge it, there is even a reluctance I found in the church to really cop to how bad sin really is, even especially in ourselves. We really don't want to look at the other guys, the problem. It's not really me, but it is me. That's- yeah, absolutely. Well, again, that's what G.K. Chesterton said. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, I think it was in the Times. Uh, yes. They said, you know, what is the problem with the human race? He wrote back saying, dear sir, I am. I am. G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> he got it right. I mean, it, that we it all depend that. It's true. It's true. And that, yeah. you know, it, that is when salvation and what Jesus did for us really is overwhelming. When you know the degree to which you were in trouble and under the wrath of God for sin, and then you understand that the very God under whose wrath we are was the same God who came to save us, you just want to worship him. And that's exactly what we should do. We're going to pause for another break. Reverend Melvin Tinker is with us. Veiled in Flesh is his book. We'll be back right after this. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. These words written early in John's Gospel remind us in this Advent season that God sent His Son to be our Lord and Savior. But many Christians in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East have never read those words or the Christmas story in Luke 2. Why? Because they have no access to the Bible. So in this season of giving, please join Bible League in sending God's Word to Bibleist believers around the world for only $4. 
$5 or $50 for 10 Bibles, $500 for 100. Call 800-YESWORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. There are those who have been looking for the scripture for a number of years. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. That's 800-YESWORD, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean... That sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. And now through a match, your gift is doubled. All gifts are tax-deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It's great to have you with us. And it's great to be talking about the incarnation this hour with the Reverend Melvin Tinker. He is Senior Minister of St. John Newland Hall in the UK and also author of Veiled in Flesh, The Incarnation, What It Means and Why It Matters. I want to get into some of the questions that I sometimes hear, Reverend Tinker, because you're always good at fielding these questions and giving some good biblical answers to these sorts of things. One of the questions that I know has come up again and again throughout the years has been, well, If Jesus is fully God and fully man, then when he died on the cross, did God die? And if God is eternal, how could God die? How do we answer that question? Yes. Uh, Well, hmm. Um, yes, you have that paradox, don't you, in in Charles Wesley's hymn, How Can It Be? You know, the immortal dies. Right. Uh, Well, again, this comes back to uh, some, uh, you know, one of the big debates in the early church. Um, to do with the person of Jesus, that Jesus is one person, not two. Um, and um, th- there was one theologian in particular, uh, a man called Cyril, who was the Bishop of Alexandria, and he took on a heretic called Nestorius, and Nestorius basically said he could not believe, he could, he could not consider that um, a baby uh, in, a, in a manger, you could refer to him as God. Hmm. Uh, you know, he said that I could not call a two or three month old baby God. You know, so in his mind, you see, there's this disjunction between the divine nature and, uh, and human nature. Now, what Cyril did is very clever, really. So, well, look, uh, you've got to think of divine attributes, and you think you know, draw a list of divine attributes and draw up a list of human attributes. So, divine attributes. Um, well, he's the giver of life. Um, he's everywhere, God knows everything, he's omniscient, he rules in glory, he's omnipotent, he's eternal, and so on. And then human attributes, well, we're born, we grow, we, we learn, we suffer, we die. And he says, the thing is, with, with Jesus, what you can do, and you must be able to do, is you take the subject from one category, and the statement about the subject from another category, and you can actually bring them together. Hmm. So we can say, well, yes, in this one person, Jesus, He's the one who gives life as deity, 
but he's also the one who was born as a human. Uh, he is everywhere as the eternal Logos, but he's the one who also grows in, in infancy into manhood yes. uh, on, on earth. Uh, he's the one who's omniscient and knows all, but as a human being, he also learns. He grew in stature. No, he, he, he learned like the rest of us, you know, by uh, from premises to conclusion, gathering data, reading scriptures, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one who, um, uh, as God, who's, um, say, is impassable and that is not subject to suffering, yet, yet as a human being, he did suffer. Um, so um, to say that on the cross, God died in a, in a, a very crude sense, um, you've got to qualify that. What, you, what we can say is that here on the cross, in the person of, of, of Jesus, the one who is God and man died. Yes, that's good. That's exactly right. You've got to, you've got, you've got to have the two together. You do. Um, otherwise, it becomes, it becomes nonsense. Right. That's that's really well said, and I think that helps explain. Now, here's another one, and I know you bring this one up in your book as well. Some of the objections people will sometimes raise about the limits of the incarnation. I don't, I don't even like saying it that way. But, for example, you look at Matthew 26, where Jesus is crying out in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So some people will read that verse and imply that the Father and the Son had two different wills. How should we really understand that when we're understanding that Jesus is the God-man? Okay, well, again, you've got to be a little, we've got to be a little bit more sort of precise and, and clear in, in the kind of language we use. So when we talk about somebody's will, we can mean one of two things. We can talk about that which you desire. You know, I will to have a cup of tea in about 10 minutes' time or something like that. And then you've got the will, that is the exercise of active power. Okay, I am now going to put the kettle on and make a cup of tea. You can tell I'm English, can't you? Yes. <laughs> you can make coffee. Okay. You're making me thirsty, but I like that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, what we have uh, with, with, with Jesus, when Jesus prayed, not as I will, but as you will, um, the one person will of Christ operating through this human person, he desired for that cup to pass. And that was a human desire, because he knew what it was going to involve. Uh, That was the desire. But then he exercised his active will, and he submitted to the will of his Father, which actually was also his own desired will as the eternal uh, uh, Son of God. Yes. Either God the Son. Yes. So... um, so you have a genuine struggle going on here of, of Jesus' human will um, in, in terms of his desire. You know, he was terrified. He, he, he sweat drops of blood. I mean, that was real terror he felt yep. there in the garden. But the thing is, you see, this is, it, it's, pe- it's persons that feel. It, it's not to do with nature's people stuff. It was the divine, as a divine nature, he, uh, he didn't. Uh, but at the human nature. No, it's not like that. It, persons fear, uh, persons love, persons desire. Um, and so here you have this, this Jesus of Nazareth with human consciousness, consciousness struggling with fear and weakness and temptation in order to align his will with that of his Heavenly Father. Hmm. Right, um, that's right. And so he not only... Um, he, 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 well, yes. Yeah, so that's his act of will. I will submit to this, and then 
the desired will also comes in and, and the two are one. Well, it would seem to me that one of the ways you could read that is to is to say that it demonstrates more than ever that Jesus was a real person. He wasn't just some Indeed. kind of shadow of a man. He was a real person. He was, as you say, sweating blood, and he was, well, you know, the, the horrors well, I, of that. It, well, yeah, it, it was. It was, Well, I, I, I again just try and qualify a bit more and, and just say he was a real human being. That's right. This was a person, right, uh, who was made of flesh and blood like ours, but without sin. That's and, exactly it. Uh, he had a mind like ours, a mind which was breaking under that tremendous weight uh, when he was in the garden. Uh, and he was alone. Uh, you know, he was alone, him and his heavenly father. Uh, and then, you know, an angel was sent to strengthen him and so on. Uh, but his disciples, they were asleep. Uh, can you imagine that? No. Knowing that he was going to take the whole sin of the world, which would crush him, yeah. this holy perfect, pure being right. was going to become the receptacle of all the filth right. and sin Ugh. of the entire w- world uh, from beginning to end. Amazing. And he didn't uh, deserve to die. That's the whole no, thing of it. Oh. No. He cho- he, I'm talking about will. He willingly did this for the glory of his Father, but also for the sake of those who need redeeming. Yes. Um, and uh, as, as, as you, you see when you read my book at the end of the chapter pretty well, I mean, I, I give a little prayer and meditation and so on, because what this is meant to do is to drive us to worship and adoration. Right. Uh, we're not playing uh, sort of intellectual games here. We are plumbing some very deep mysteries, uh, but in order for us to have a greater, grander view of our Lord Jesus Christ and his kindness and love to us, uh, it, it should be a humbling experience. It was me writing it. Oh, I can imagine. Well, right, the implications of the incarnation for our salvation are innumerable in some ways mm. because without the incarnation, there would be no salvation. This is. It, it seems we we really need to dig deeper into this doctrine, especially around Christmas time. Really dig into it. That that's great, and it's also to do with our future because, see, by being by Jesus. And by the eternal Son of God, the eternal Logos, taking to himself human nature without surrendering his divine nature means that we, we, we are now united, as we trust in Christ, we are united with him. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, again, the writer of Hebrews speaks of him as an elder brother. Um, you know, he's taken on our flesh and blood. And that means that our flesh and blood will also be redeemed. Uh, So Jesus didn't come just to save our souls, but actually our entire being. Um, And because he has a glorified state and we're united with him, we will also have a glorified perfect state when we go to be with him. And that, again, is a wonderful thing. uh, Why, you know, he talks about us, that we will judge angels. Why? Because we're united to him. Amen. Uh, we're seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, Paul talks about his, us being seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It's incredible. So now, at the center of the universe is a man. Yeah, oh, <laughs> man. It's God's plan all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man, there's so much. But you've got to read the book, Veiled in Flesh, The Incarnation, What It Means and Why It Matters by the Reverend Melvin Tinker. Always wonderful to have you here, Reverend Tinker. Thank you again for a wonderful book, and thanks for being with us. 
My pleasure. Thank you very much, Shannon. It's been a delight to be with you again. Thank oh, you. always wonderful to have you as well. God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us. And we'll see you next time on Janet Meffer Today. This hour of Janet Meffer Today has been brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters everywhere Christmas Day.